Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are you doing today? You know what? I'm doing pretty darn well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited about the show. Congrats to you and the Chiefs. Thank you. The kingdom, I guess, as y'all call it. Big win last night. Yep, uh, big win. Feel sorry for the Bills until their fans throw snowballs at my quarterback and then I don't feel so sorry for him anymore. But yeah, that's the third time out of four meetings that we have beat the Bills in the playoffs. Crazy. Man, what a rivalry. But I guess for it to be a rivalry, I think the Chiefs are 3-0 and against those Bills, right? Well, it is a rivalry. They stomp our guts out during the regular season every year. So, you know, I would say it is a very friendly rivalry. Have a lot of respect for their players and their team and their coach and even some of their fans, Mm. except for those snowballs. NFL aside, Greg, we got a lot to get into here today, right? Turns out we've been busy in this supply chain game, haven't we? Man, you ain't lying. So whether you're a Chiefs fan, a Bills fan, whether you're a football fan or not, stick with us. We got a lot to get into here today across global business. And y'all should come to expect it, right? Every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time, Greg and I, sometimes it's other folks that join us all focused in on practitioner-driven conversation analysis of a variety of news and developments across global business. And we want to hear from you, right? Yeah. So drop your take throughout the conversation in the chat and we'll weave that in. And if you're listening to the podcast replay, which is usually dropped on Fridays, hey, come join us live. You can join us on LinkedIn, YouTube, or some other social media channel of your choosing. Even on Twitch while you're gaming. <laughs> That's right. Come on. Come on. And right. we ask one thing of you, though. And Greg, that thing is, if y'all dig the show, if you enjoy what you hear, hey, share it with a friend or your social network. And on behalf of our hardest working team yeah. in at least supply chain media, business global media, hey, we appreciate it. Greg, simple ask, isn't it? Introduce your friends who might be missing out on the number one podcast and supply chain show in the world to join us. That's right. And don't forget to subscribe. I've always wanted to do this, Scott. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that (laughs) subscribe button and that bell on YouTube. We're living our best life today. We're still doing it. You know, YouTubers are quitting by the droves. Have you seen this? Just tons of people just tired of the grind, apparently. And then, of course, you sent an article around the company about the incredible shrinking podcast industry. Who thought we'd ever be talking about that? Yeah, no kidding. So it's work, people. I mean, don't doubt it. This is work. And we still here. <laughs> That's right. And take that to the bank. Death taxes and supply chain now, baby. And not just we're here, we're thriving, folks. And that's all due testament to our global audience out there Amen. that jumps into the conversation with us. Okay. So, Greg, we're going to try to work in. we got Andre and T-Squared and Amanda, of course, Catherine, the whole gang. Awesome behind the scenes. We'll work in those comments. But for starters, Greg, let's offer up some resources for our 
global fam out there. And we're going to start, as always, with the With That Said newsletter that we dropped over the weekend. Now, this one was a really good one, Greg. We touched on Chinese economic updates. You know, we talk a lot about our economy. Uh Y'all should check out what's going on in China. Bank of America spending billions on their digital transformation. We even included a story, Greg, about an AI chatbot that had a little issue. And they began to drop a few four-letter words as perhaps showing a little human-like frustration, all in the latest edition of With That Said. Greg, did you check it out? That's pretty funny. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out. I missed that this weekend. It was a very busy weekend. I get it. So check out With That Said, perspectives from across the business world. And of course, as always, some of our own recent and upcoming shows. And by the way, shout out to Bill Huber, former chief financial officer in the construction industry. He shared this gorgeous picture y'all see there of Lake Greenwood in South Carolina. I think that's Sunrise. And it was cold, he said. I think it's 14 degrees or something. Greg, that's chilly. I don't care where you are, huh? Yeah, I try to never see 14 degrees. That's why I moved (laughs) to the South. And you would think that it would work. That's right. (laughs) Global warming. Oh, man, I'm with you. All right. So let's get into the first story. I really like our starting point here today. I think this is going to really offer up some context throughout the four stories that we're going to work our way through. So I want to start today with what CEOs are thinking. So Greg, the conference board published research recently as they had surveyed over 1,200 global C-suite executives, including 630 CEOs on a variety of topics. So here's a few key takeaways, and I can't wait to get Greg's take on the takeaways. So the top two external concerns for both U.S. and global CEOs, you might have guessed it, an economic recession is number one, And inflation is number two, both for U.S. and global CEOs. For short-term profit growth, U.S. and global CEOs, collectively, their number one priority is to introduce new products and services. Other priorities for short-term growth is increasing sales via marketing, entering new markets, and, as you might expect, investing in technology. Now, for longer-term revenue growth, U.S. and global CEOs had the same top five growth strategies that they're going to be focused on over the next three to five years. Here's the top three. Number one, invest in innovation. Number two, new lines of business. And number three, digital transformation, including AI. The top internal priority is also the same for U.S. and global CEOs. It's talent, baby. Attracting and retaining talent. Okay, Greg. Your thoughts, and there's a lot more to that. We're going to drop a link to that survey. Your thoughts on that data. It harkens back to, I don't remember when we used this term, 80s or 90s maybe, stagflation, where the economy stagnates and yet we have inflation. And I think that's sort of what these CEOs are referring to. But to the point that they made in the article, they don't know which or if either of those things are going to happen. I mean, obviously, inflation continues. People keep saying inflation is coming down. That doesn't mean we don't still have inflation. It means that the rate of inflation is coming closer to the desired 2% per year, but it's still a good ways away. And recession is something we've been talking about, it feels like, for three years. But you you do have to legitimately ask the question, how long can this false economy continue? An economy that was built on $3.4 trillion of injected capital. And now all of us, at least in America, are done bending through 
our fellow taxpayers' money to buy things. And you can see it. You know, one of the leading indicators I use, not an economist, by the way, <laughs> let me reiterate that, but right as often as they are, which is almost never. One of the leading indicators that I look at is luxury goods. And you're starting to see those things that during 21 and 22 were really popular, luxury goods, fashion goods like Bayberry and brands like that, they're starting to see sales come down. We're going to talk about EVs, but cars in general are starting to come available again. And again, I'm looking at the top of the market, looking at the Range Rovers and things like that to see what's going on. And they're starting to pile up an inventory at dealerships. So people are starting pairing back. I think I saw a Business Insider article that instead of inconspicuous consumption, which is such a joke, impossible to be inconspicuous wearing anything Balenciaga or Balmain or Bayberry or Gucci. I mean, they're intentionally conspicuous, right? Yeah. And everywhere. But now savings, saving is becoming really popular and prominent. And I think that is a good indicator that people are starting to come to reality, starting to face reality when it comes to the economy. And I think it's a good thing. We've been talking about it for years. Always have a backup plan, right? Just in case recession hits. Because when a recession hits, you want to have cash on hand, not just to save yourself, but also because there are so many opportunities when an economy turns down, so many opportunities to invest. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, the, what these CEOs are investing in is absolutely critical and it's going to change the shape of that whole discussion around people because AI will replace people. We can quit pretending that it's not going to, but I think it will most likely replace the 10,000 people who are leaving the workforce every single day, largely baby boomers. I can tell you for certain that even the oldest of Gen Xers are not old enough to retire yet. So they're not leaving the workforce and they are much more adoptive of technology. And of course, our kids, Gen Y and Gen Z, they were brought up on technology even more significantly than we were. So right. we're moving into a culture where working alongside technology is not just accepted, it's expected. So all of this innovation, presumably that innovation is technology. And of course, digital transformation involves technology. And let us reiterate, Scott, that moving from paper to a spreadsheet is not, that's not digital transformation. <laughs> <laughs> moving from a spreadsheet to like a process-driven technology, that is digital transformation. So That's right. Greg, the only thing you missed is at the end, welcome to my master class. Follow me for more all things technology and economy. And by the way, Andre says stagflation to your point, which you started on is the pits. I agree yeah. with you, Andre. And speaking of inflation, Greg, here's one sign I'm looking for. So you're on the highfalutin side, luxury goods and cars and stuff. I'm a few weight classes down. I'm walking through my local grocery store looking for treats for my dogs. And I see pig ears at one pig ear for dogs is $3.50. Now, for years, that was under a buck. So that tells you a lot, <laughs> the pig ear market. So we'll see. We'll keep our finger on the pulse. But folks, hey, check out this. There's so much great information in this survey. The conference board, by the way, is a nonprofit organization. Check it out, and it's easy to download. Let us know what we maybe have missed today. Okay, so Greg, now that we've covered two of the critical subjects of our day, what CEOs are thinking and the pig ear market. I think we can move right along to the second the second article here today. Now, we'll get to this image in a second. Let me tee this thing up. We'll get Greg's thoughts and then we'll talk about delicious yeah. 
drumsticks. Oh, man. Okay. We mentioned the common themes amongst these four stories. This next story kind of reflects some of these CEO priorities from the first story as it applies to the food and beverage industry. Neat interview here by our friends at Retail Brew who talked to Mike Van Houten. So he is with Nestle USA and they spoke to him about F&B trends to watch in 2024. Van Houten says, quote, innovation is back. The pandemic ushered in an age, as we all know, of super skew rationalization Mm -hmm. as global complexity had many companies leveraging the power of focus to drill in on core products. But that mindset is changing rapidly. Van Houten points internally to the 50% rise in innovation projects at Nestle alone as one of the examples of this changing mindset, many of which in terms of these innovation projects will lead to new products and new tasty flavors. Speaking of tasty flavors, Greg, spice is still nice. And that trend is expected. That trend meaning lots of spice and heat on all kinds of things from chips to ice creams to who knows, maybe even pig ears. That trend is expected to expand in 2024. And all you got to do, Greg, is walk the chip aisle in your local grocery store. Besides the price points, man, $10 bags of chips is crazy. But that extra spicy, man, it's everywhere. It's like on half the bags. Yeah. This last little piece kind of surprised me just a smidge. Van Houten says that expect F&B leaders to find ways to ensure seamlessness between the in-store and the online grocery buying experience and to make sure customers can get what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. Reducing that supply chain and omnichannel friction is basically public enemy number one, he's saying. He says, Nestle, get this, Greg, Nestle is, quote, we're just at the beginning of this move to eliminate friction and help consumers buy wherever they want to buy, end quote. As I mentioned, that surprises me a smidge. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, well, considering the history, it is a long history of e-commerce. That doesn't particularly surprise me, but it did back then when they did it. And part of the reason that you separate e-commerce and in-store was because of bonus structures and compensation structures because they built a whole organization around it. Nobody could really contemplate that we could, as we do now, fulfill e-com from a Kroger store, let's say, right? Which is exactly what they do today. That is exactly what they do today. So, you know, there's a sort of a paradigm shift mentally now that they're like, oh, wow. I wonder if anybody ever thought of just making it all sort of one experience. I got to tell you, I don't know if you've ever shopped Kroger online. It's very much like that. Walmart too is very much like that. I mean, you can get same day, two hour deliveries from, I think both of them, even Costco has a same day delivery. So that's a bit of a mystery to me, but I can see if you're in it every day and your job isn't to sit back and observe, does this really make sense? And also because you have the conflict of compensation methodologies within the company, which is usually the cause of inefficiency in so many companies, I can see why it feels like a revelation and a new finding. But the truth Mm -hmm. is, it could have always been that way. There's nothing inherent in the process or technology that limited it. So as to innovation, you know, I've been a merchant in retail, right? My job was to find new products and that sort of thing. I hope we don't get back to that sort of paralyzing number of products like spicy drumsticks or bacon flavored (laughs) spicy drumsticks or something like that where it just paralyzes the consumer. I realized why we went, and we've talked about this over and over again, and there are shows we did during the pandemic and shortly thereafter about skew rationalization, which means cutting out your low selling skews. Why we would wanna replace those with more low selling skews, I don't get, 
especially in this environment, which we just discussed, Scott, is tending towards recession and already has a ton of inflation. I think a lot of these retailers should be thinking more like Ikea, which just announced that they're going to be lowering their prices again, that now that the mess of the supply chain and all of that disruption has settled some and the price of goods have come back to earth or the price of source materials have come back to earth. So I think they're missing the boat, which is not unusual for a lot of retailers. And IKEA, when we talk about innovation, IKEA has the most practical innovation on the planet. And I think more retailers ought to be following that model. Scott, you talk about lowbrow things. These are my sort of lowbrow indicators. McDonald's hamburgers, which cost $2.39 now and are now less than one-tenth of a pound, which is what right. they were before. They're smaller. Zaxby's, the big Zax snack during the kind of 2009 financial crisis, that was two ninety nine, and now it's eight bucks. Wow. So I know, you know, inflation accumulates, of course, but that's excessive for, you know, three chicken tenders and fries. Yes, I do eat like a 12-year-old people. <laughs> I think that, you know, what they're looking at is important. I just think that what they land on probably needs to be thought through more. And you know how it's going to work. It's going to be FOMO. If these guys are doing it, everybody's going to do it. I mean, Nestle is a big influencer in the industry. So if they say this is the way to go, I think a lot of companies will follow them. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get Rick McDonald on here and talk about what their strategy is at Clorox and whatever he can share with us. You know, he will obviously with his team's approval, but I'd like to see if there aren't some alternative strategies out there. Yes, he's due. He's due to be back soon. Yeah. So stay tuned on that, folks. Y'all know Rick McDonald, the chief supply chain officer with the Clorox company, is one of our favorite guests that stops in from time to time. Okay, so one last comment here. So Nestle and Mike Van Houten, by the way, great interview, Mike, wherever you may be. Mm. But Nestle's got like a million brands out there. And Greg, I think this was arguable, but one of my favorite Nestle brands, besides the Kit Kats, are these drumsticks. I can't have them in the house because I can't eat just one. You know what I mean? Moving right along, Greg. Yep. This was a site that we haven't seen. These images were front page and on the news everywhere. seemed like every hour back in the day. We're going to be talking about what pesky shortages might continue or might pop up in 2024. Mm -hmm. This is all based on a great read from our friends at Supply Chain Dive. Now, some of the shortages they see in this article continuing throughout the new year pharmaceuticals and medical supplies, food. In fact, our friends over at Everstream, big shout out to Julie Gerdeman and Kura Kose, the whole gang. Well, they say, quote, agricultural commodity shortages mm -hmm. are one of the top supply chain risks in 2024. Battery minerals, stop me if you've heard this a thousand times. Did you know, though, between 2017 and 2022, global demand for lithium tripled. Cobalt demand rose a whopping 70%. The story also cites climate change and geopolitical driven shortages as big risks in 2024. Here's one thing they missed though, Greg. One thing they missed, electrical power grid components, such as transformers. Huh. In some cases, certain construction projects have had a choice over the last couple of years, wait for months to get the transformers or other products or redesign the building. Lead times, you know, due to trade tariffs, the pandemic, domestic production challenges, of course, a lot higher costs. It used to be a builder could get a transformer in three to four weeks. Now it's 18 to 24 months. Goodness gracious. Greg, your thoughts here around shortages and the like. Yeah, well, it's kind of back to where we were before. I mean, we do have periodic shortages on certain commodities due to weather or transportation issues or pest infestations, things like that. 
food is very general, but some specific foods are not unusual to have that kind of a shortage. There is not a global food shortage, just to be clear, people. But there are some select commodities, particularly that are in short supply. And, you know, of course, I am in the middle of kind of a family situation where pharmaceuticals and medical supplies are a big issue. So I've experienced that, you know, trying to get things for my father and that sort of thing. So I don't know what it is. I don't know sort of what causes it or or has caused it in this case, but, you know, it's a shortage. It's not kind of like the transformer thing where they're behind on production or like we had with cars where they fell behind on production. But interestingly, we're going to talk about EV sales. I'm trying not to spoil that story, but it kind of all comes back around to that, doesn't it? But I have a feeling, let's put it this way, that lithium and cobalt demand will be going down from where it is, at least fairly shortly. Mm. So, you know, there are always corrective or substitutional solutions to these kind of things. And, you know, as Mike Van Houten was talking about, you reformulate certain recipes to use an alternative product rather than whatever is in shortage or too expensive or whatever. And, you know, the world keeps turning. So Mm. while it's a concern, I think, don't these feel, Scott, more like typical shortages that we see and kind of the typical scale of shortages where not everything is short, but at least there's sort of targeted items and issues that we have shortages for? I wouldn't disagree with that. I think going back to the pharmaceutical and the medical equipment, I think one thing that might be lost and shuffle for some, and uh, Greg, I know that you mentioned the kind of the personal side, you know, I counted, I think seven or eight medical devices or equipment on the FDA site today mm. that is in short supply. And the impact there, if you're fortunate not to be in hospitals in the last couple of years, then you may not be experiencing this. But a lot of procedures, surgeries, and other medical operations, well, they're being delayed and rescheduled and delayed and rescheduled. So we're going to keep our finger on the pulse of that. And Greg, as you know, best wishes and prayers to your family. And hopefully we get some good news there soon. Thank you. First of all, Scott, one of the things we've experienced on that is there is one of the biggest shortages in the healthcare industry is skilled professionals. Because so many of these doctors have retired over the last couple of three years. It's an incredible shortage and a very significant shortage of the most experienced and skilled healthcare professionals. And that leads to a lot of what you're talking about. Because strangely, the nurses, as if they don't have enough to do, they have to watch things like inventory. Right. And, you know, if they don't have the experience of how that works or what causes demand there, it can be a real challenge for them. So there are a lot of shortages. I would argue that many of the shortages we're experiencing are probably due to things like labor because I hear this all the time. I can't say that I necessarily agree with it. So many people say it, that it must be in some measure true. It's said, and we know this isn't true, nobody wants to work anymore, right? right? And it's not nobody, but it's there are a lot of people who don't want to do the work that gets plants pulled out of the ground or that gets inventory ordered and positioned and that sort of thing. And we've experienced it in this industry since long before the pandemic, right? The dark, dirty, dull, and dangerous jobs, people don't want to do them. That's right. And, you know, that's why at the top of the show, we said there's really no reason to apologize for AI and the jobs that it's going to take, because largely those are jobs that no one wants anyway. That's right. So I think we really have to figure that out, and that will solve a lot of the sourcing and product shortages that we have. That's right. And to build on that last point about AI and jobs, I think just last week, Kevin and I were talking about while AI undoubtedly is going to 
eliminate certain jobs. Still, the net net, according to different numbers out there, different research firms, is this going to create a lot more jobs and it's going to take away. And that's pretty exciting, right? Let's look at it in basic terms. Technology has eliminated jobs that humans used to do, like ditch digging. Right. And like driving spikes on the railroad and, you know, things like that, that were only done by humans because the technology to do it didn't exist. And it's just about the worst use of human skills to do some of these things. So I think if we focus on those things that people don't want to do, physically shouldn't do, are dangerous for human beings, right? Or even so can be better conducted, even if once trained by a human, better conducted by technology, go for it. And I think we're reaching a state of society where that's more than just acceptable. Like I said, it's an expectation. But hey, we're reaching a point where chatbots are figuring out how to creatively use the F word like Joe Pesci. I think Right. <laughs> I think it's going to be an exciting time. We'll see. Okay. A lot of good stuff there. I'm going to give a couple of shout outs here. Hey, Karai Jose, we just were talking about you. You bet. Thanks for the mention. Appreciate the work you, Julie, yeah. the whole team at Everstream we're doing. Ashley's talking about, hey, we could solve a lot by bringing manufacturing back to the US or Canada or Mexico. Of course, that's big trends there. However, Greg, as we've talked about, especially if it comes back to the States, be prepared to pay. Be prepared to pay, right? Be prepared to pay or be prepared for it to be robotics anyway. I mean, these are precisely the jobs manufacturing, unfortunately, Ashley, are precisely the jobs we're talking about that people don't want to do. People have been staying away in droves from manufacturing jobs. Just a year ago, we were talking about how hard it is for manufacturing to get labor to do the jobs that exist in manufacturing today in America. Well said. That brings me to Ashley's other comment, which is a great segue into the fourth story we're talking here today. So Ashley says that Ford had to retool their entire new manufacturing plant here in Tennessee, where I guess she lives, for hybrid. Did you send her the run of show? How the heck does she know that? <laughs> That's where we're going next. <laughs> Keep it coming. Keep it coming. I love it. We are talking EV and, and in particular Ford. So let me tee this up and then we're going to get uh, y'all's comments. And of course, Greg's take. So we're talking about the electric vehicle market. So records were broken probably globally in 2023, but certainly domestically when it comes to EV sales. Over 1.2 million EVs were sold in the U.S. for the first time last year. In fact, EV share of the total vehicle market in the States grew to 7.6%, according to estimates from Kelly Blue Book. But the rate of growth has slowed tremendously, and that's got the attention of automakers everywhere. According to the AP in this story, Ford Motor Company has cut the production of the F-150 Lightning EV pickup truck, shifting those resources elsewhere. General Motors and the Volkswagen Group are also amongst automakers that are cutting back EV production plans and big investments in some cases. Amongst other reasons behind the sales slowdown, still range concerns and a limited charging network, especially here in the States. Now, Greg, this is going to be the family episode, I guess. My brother rented his first Tesla last week. Yeah. And he was confounded. Great word. With yeah, the lack of charge. <laughs> with the lack of charging stations in South Carolina. Now, according to Statista, as of May 2023, the U.S. had over 138,000 charging outlets for plug-in EVs, but California leads the country in terms of the infrastructure as the state boasts about 44,000 public and private power outlets for EVs. Hmm. All right, Greg, what's your take? So that's about a third of them are in California. So if you're in California, you're probably covered. <laughs> All right. Well, EVs are, the demand is going down dramatically. 
for everyone, just generally, at least in the States. The two complaints being, as you said, range, right? And the other being cold weather because, you know, the chemical reaction in a battery slows when it's very, very cold. So they have to put in heaters in these cars. And why we didn't think of that when such a huge portion of the population lives in cold climates, I don't know. But, and, you know, certainly scientists knew that. But it's a real problem. We have a neighbor up the street that has one. When the ladies in the neighborhood want to go out to lunch, they all want to ride in her Tesla, but they can't when it's in the wintertime because huh. it won't go. So it's a very, very real problem. Range is incredible. I was looking at the range of the F-150 Lightning, which is supposed to be 300 miles, but I saw a guy try to pull a trailer with it because it's a pickup truck and he got 24 miles of range Ooh, because of the extra weight, right? And the extra strain on the motors. He used the air conditioner. I mean, you got to think about this when you don't have a combustion engine to drive the electricity that you're using acutely in the moment, you're drawing off the batteries. So, you know, turning the radio up loud lessens your mileage range. And you know, Scott, I've got like 300 miles between houses. I am dying to have an electric, yeah. but it's just not practical because I am right. not going to stop. It's about a three and a half, four hour drive. I don't stop during three and a half, four hour drives. I am a drive all the way through kind of guy. And right. until they can assure me that while I'm cranking Metallica, right? And with the air conditioning or the heater running, because I'm a wimp in both cold and hot weather, <laughs> that I can get there without making a stop. I'm just not going to do it. Right. Great commentary there, Greg. Some things I didn't think about. Dr. Atherogen, I think I said that right. Greg was speaking to a lot of those factors you're asking about in terms of what's contributing to weaker EV sales. I would add one more. I was reading somewhere, the early adopters that moved in and made their purchases, of course, there's not nearly as many early adopters. So naturally, I think the peak in the U.S. in terms of year-over-year sales growth was last summer, 2023, which was a 90% sales growth over same time frame, 2022. I think I got that number right. So, you know, if you're selling that fast and growing sales that quickly, naturally, those early adopters are moving out. Those very practical reasons, I think Greg's mentioning, if you're buying a pickup truck, get this, to use it in a practical fashion. As a pickup truck to haul things. Right. I mean, and if your practical use of said pick em up truck takes the range from 300, even down to even under 100, 100 still. Right. Right. Yeah. Even if it hits 24, goodness gracious, you got different planning to do. That certainly has contributed. And one, one last thing, Greg, you may have seen the story too. I'm going to paraphrase. I want to say it was about six months ago, right? So that would have been, well, around last summer, right? At the peak of all the sales growth. There was a government official. I can't remember who it was, but they planned to take an EV from one side of the country to another side. And it was a big media push, right? It hit fever pitch. But as they personally and painfully encountered the infrastructure, really, I mean, it was supposed to be like a seven-day trip. Ended up being like, I don't know, a 30-day trip because they didn't hit enough yeah. infrastructure out there. So we're not exactly where we all thought we'd be perhaps yet, but we'll see what's around the corner, Greg. What you think? It's inevitable now. I love the fact that we're taking all of the pollutants out of the air. I mean, whatever you feel about global warming or whatever, all of those pollutants, I mean, they do make for great sunsets. I've lived in LA and Phoenix where smog gets trapped. Right. And it does make for beautiful objects for the sun to refract off of and create glorious sunsets, but it is hard to breathe, yes. honestly. And whatever the effect is, who wants that effect? right? Yes. One of the other major concerns, and it's a legitimate concern, no matter what side you take on this. And I don't honestly know why people take sides, but is that some huge percentage used to be a hundred percent. Now it's probably, let's say it's at least over 90% 
of all EVs will never offset the emissions created by building the vehicle, right? Sourcing, constructing, and building and delivering the vehicle in their lifetime because their lifetime isn't long enough. And frankly, I don't see at least Americans driving their cars, even if they would last that long, which many do not, more than 10 years. Yeah. Right? So we have to fix that as well. You know, and I think I've expressed on many of our shows, my concern about our shift of destroying the atmosphere to destroying the actual planet with the mining, the incredibly invasive and destructive mining of all of these rare earth minerals. We need and must find synthetics. And I know that that's being worked on, but we have to be able to scale that and find synthetics or else we're just going to destroy the face of our planet. Today, we don't care because it's happening in third world holes like my family's country, Argentina, Mm. which nobody cares about. And except for their new president, everybody loves that cat apparently. But this is coming soon to you in your neighborhood where they have to scrape the face of the earth off to get these rare earth minerals. So that's right. It's a very real problem, and I, I'm very much for solving it, not shifting it, right? Not shifting from carbon to destroying the actual physical planet. Yep. Well said there. And of course, ethical sourcing, as Andre's kind of alluding to, that's a big, yes. big challenge we got to do more about. And Karas says an interesting thing. EVs have a loyalty issue, Karas says. Half of EV owners switch back to internal combustion engines if you exclude Tesla. Hmm. Speaks for the innovation gap, Karas says, of mainstream brands, which looks like it comes that comes from an S&P Global analysis. Karas, great to have you here. That's really interesting. I can see that. I think I've actually heard that. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, make sure you check out this read that kind of focuses more on Ford, but also gives some overall EV industry numbers and developments. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Okay, Greg, one other thing that I thought I got wrong when I shared, but I double check when we we're talking about the transformer lead times. Yeah. That was indeed three to four weeks to now 18 to 24 months. That's unbelievable. So that is not just labor-based, obviously. I know what I said about labor being at the root of this, but that's obviously not just labor-based. There is something in shortage there, something significant, I imagine, probably magnetics that are causing that delay. Yeah, no doubt. That is a huge jump. I actually heard someone who claims to be a supply chain expert say lead time doesn't matter. It does when it goes from three weeks (laughs) to two years. It It also matters when you want it now. Right. I can tell you from my days in manufacturing, if you throw out lead time and don't give a blank about it, you will have Mm -hmm. Honda white coats in your office overlooking your shoulder as you get stuff done. So we'll save that for another conversation, Greg. That is a whole conversation, really. I mean, maybe we should have like a why does lead time matter show. Yes, I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, that, Greg, brings this edition of The Buzz to a close. Folks. Thanks for all the great comments and questions. I know we couldn't hit all of them here today, but what a lively crowd here this first day of the week of January 22nd, 2024. Unbelievable. I don't think we can use a word. We cannot use those words. Okay. The NFL's big game is just a couple weeks away. It's hard to believe. So hopefully if your team is in it, it's still in the final four. Good luck, Greg. Thanks for being here as always. Enjoy your commentary. My pleasure. I'm glad we're doing this. I love this show, man. I do too. Big thanks, of course, folks behind the scenes help make production happen. Catherine and Amanda, the whole gang. Big thanks to all y'all that showed up from around the world. Imparting us with your knowledge, right? I like that this is a back and forth, Scott. You know, we have. It just illustrates 
and confirms in my mind for about the millionth time, we have the smartest audience in all of digital media right here at Supply Chain Now. I agree 100%. All right, folks, that does it for Greg and I. Best wishes. Have a wonderful week. Most importantly, though, take one thing that we dropped here today or any of y'all dropped today, put it in action, do something with it, deeds, not words. And with that said, on behalf of our entire team here, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. We'll see you next time right back here. Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.